We remembered how to clap and we did it in time with each other. That was beautiful. You were ages after me. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Doc, you disintegrated Einstein. Disintegrated Einstein. And Einstein. Welcome to Science at the Movies, a podcast that looks at the role of science in some of our best loved and most hated movies. I'm Abby. Sorry, I had Frida my <laughs> <laughs> I'm Frida, and this week's movie is Primer. Sorry. <laughs> you think you just have one bicky, one bicky before recording, and you're paying for it for like yep. 20 minutes. <laughs> That's on you. <laughs> I had a bicky. Well, it's 7 a.m. Frida's awake in the morning. Yeah. It's 9 p.m. I'm drinking tea. <laughs> Fantastic. Coffee, tea, Melbourne, England, spring, autumn. What oh. can happen in this week's episode? <laughs> Anything. Should we, just, should we just talk about the weather? <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's not talk about the weather. Okay. Let's talk about... That's kind of our sort of newish segment at the beginning where we go... What's with the news in academia? Way. Um, <laughs> what is my news? I actually, do you know what? Something that I came across this week was a tweet by someone. And I think I should just tell you what this tweet was because I thought it was really funny. <laughs> yeah. Some uh, woman who is, uh, she's, I don't know, like some fourth year undergrad or something in physics and on Twitter had posted saying somebody had asked her why there wasn't so many women in physics. And she was like, oh, I've got some ideas of my own answer, but like, I just thought I'd put it out there to you guys. What do you think? Women, let me know. Why do you think that there's so few in physics? And immediately a man answered, obviously, because, you know, saying women wasn't clear enough. And do you know what his response was? Do you want to hear what his response was? Was it? Well, actually, women are weak in mathematics. To be good at (laughs) physics, one needs to be fast in mathematics. Where does that come from? Uh, the way I see, the way I always think about it is that most people are weak in mathematics. <laughs> like, it's not a female man thing. Like most people are shit at this. A small number of people are amazing at it. The difference between male and female thereon is just sort of immaterial. It's just way yeah. more cultural than anything. And on that note, let's dive straight into the movie because we've got to save our breath, bitch. <laughs> Now, um, should I do the summary? This is the summary. Should I do a summary? I'll yeah, enjoy yeah. the movie. <laughs> I'm not summarizing the movie here, but bear with me. Bear with me. <clears throat> Primer. Primer is. <laughs> it's Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, but on a really low budget. Okay. Honey, I shrunk the kids. All right. With time travel. But in, you know, they can't afford the puppets. Not for children. Primer. Okay. Yeah. Here's my summary no of Rick Primer. <laughs> Couldn't afford. He's recovering from his punch to the face. No, no, no. This was, this was made before that. 2004, was it? Okay. Two friends, Aaron and Abe accidentally invent time travel they think they have control but they don't things get fucked eh? is that it yep. yeah that's it <laughs> that's perfect because yeah <laughs> that's kind of how i felt after i watched it i went they accidentally invented time travel things got really fucked up mm. yeah was i supposed to understand that it's like you don't always know if a movie deserves like you thinking about it because mm. I am I going to get the satisfaction of this all falling into place or is this just like a bat like fucked? But we'll answer that question in a little bit. Oh. But first, I thought before we go through our general how did you like it, I just thought I might put down a few facts about the production. Then we'll talk about what you think about it because I think it's 
we need to be upfront completely about <laughs> gonna, are you doing this so that you can kind of so that i can like temper my reaction a little bit will i change will i change some reactions based on the production information <laughs> um i just think it's like you can't say anything about primer until you mention that it was made on a budget of seven thousand dollars hmm. seven thousand dollars it was written, directed, and produced by a man that we'll talk about in a bit, Shane Carruth. And the next, the last fact I want to say about this, which actually amazed me, was that it, the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance in 2004, it beat out Napoleon Dynamite ah. and wow. Garden State. Oh. Two beloved indie films. Garden State, fuck Garden State. But I can at least recognize that it was absolutely beloved. I just find that totally fascinating because I did not know about this movie until like I started the podcast and immediately people said, do Primer, do Primer. Yeah. Yeah. Is that your experience? Yeah. I hadn't seen it, but it was just, it was one of those ones where it was like, oh, you have to do Primer. So I kept being like, okay, yeah, someday we'll do primer. We'll do primer. We'll get there. One of us will watch it eventually and pick it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. And it was one hour and 17 minutes, which is just awesome. But of course, if it was any longer, I would have killed myself. <laughs> I was just going to say the one hour and 17 was enough. Oh my God. <laughs> I know. Okay. Now, before we talk about Shane Carruth and then obviously the movie, I mean, what did you think of it? Okay. What did you think I've, of the movie? I have two thought. I have three thoughts that I should raise. Number one is what I said to you before we started recording. Um, normally, we write down our notes while we're watching the movie, and then we send like whoever's picked the movie. So I would write my notes and I would send them to Frida and say, "These are some things I'd like to bring up, and these are some questions I'd like you to answer." And the only thing I had after watching this movie for Frida was, can you please explain this fucking movie to me? Because I had no idea what was going on. Like nothing. I got to the end of it and I just went, what? I yeah. was, I felt like I was with it up to a point. And then there was a moment where things changed that I just went, there's two, wait, there's two of them. Wait, no, there's that. What? Oh my God, what's going on? So oh, I was very confused. I so I left it feeling like I don't really know what I just watched. And I think for that reason, I didn't really enjoy it. Uh-huh. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Did you like it? Did you love it? I bet you loved it. <laughs> no, I found the first viewing uh, difficult. Also, yeah. I was watching it on pretty low quality. Um for, I, I, the first viewing, I couldn't quite like res, respect it. And yeah. the second time I watched it, I had much more respect for a lot of things. The first time I watched it, I was like giggling at the camera moves every time. It, the, the, the shots were pretty still, at, you know, and then every now and then there'd be these like slow pan, you know, of like, and I was like, ooh, <laughs> it's a slow pan. But as, and the second time I watched it, I started to realize there's mu a lot of meaning in the production, the shots, in the, mm. and then the music. I started to appreciate the production and what I was supposed to infer from that. And I think that I started to, I was like, I think this is very good. Um, but, but the first viewing, I was just d distressed, I think. Well, yeah, so that's the thing. I think maybe if I had watched it again, maybe if I watched it now, yeah. I'd feel differently about it. I just kind of felt yeah. like I appreciate what they were trying to do. I, appre I, I actually have no problem with like what I was looking at. And I appreciated, I know this idea that like, you know, he, and I know you're going to talk about him, that he was an engineer and the, the technical speak that he didn't want to dumb well, it down for audiences. Yeah. And that's all fine. <laughs> But there's also a point, I feel like, when you're going, okay, you don't have to dumb it down for audiences, but you can at least let us, give us a plot to follow. Mm, yeah, it's you know, asshole. Like, yeah, yeah there's, I was there's, just there's like, I can't enjoy this yeah. because, exactly. I was like, smug. I just feel like you're showing off a little bit too much for me right now. Mm. And, you know, yeah. I feel like I should be able to understand some level of technical speak in watching a movie like this. Oh, the talk. As talk a scientist. But yeah. yeah, it was just, it was so, and then they cut shots and then it was like, oh, 
they're talking about something that happened off camera that you don't actually know it's an event you don't know about and I just got to a point where I was like I can't follow what's happening I don't need to understand the technical speak but I cannot follow the general fucking storyline yeah I think it does come together the technical speak the second time I I understood the bulk of what they were saying or I understood what I was supposed to have understood from it if that makes Mm. sense like um, but yeah, I did, I, the first time I did, I did wonder myself, I was like, are these people just smug and this is just smug and it, or is this knowable? And there's a, there's a line in it, like the answer was like knowable, like, is this knowable? Is this just them being like, dude, if you're interested here, if you're not, that's fine. Yeah. Cause we only spent 7,000 on it. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but, but I do, I do think it is knowable actually. And it's, and it's, and it's good. And it, and it gives you, like, it spins a lot of, a lot of food for thought, I think. Right. Um, okay. But specifically, look, having said all that, is there anything, uh, do you have a favorite part or anything uh, about the movie? Any point that you like that you want to highlight? Um, I think I perked up like once they started actually, you know, there was like a scene where there was a description of getting into the machine. Ah, yeah. He started to kind of, I I perked up a bit more definitely at that point because I was like, okay, we're getting a little bit more of an explanation of something that's going on here and I'm getting a better handle on what's happening. So I did enjoy that part. Mm. I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And uh, well, when the, when the, um, when it started to go with the fungus and all these sort of things, I was like, oh, okay, all right, mm. here's a mystery. And it's all about... Yeah. Um, I have a couple of lines that I just thought were, were really fun. Oh, yeah. Um, there was one line when he, and this was all very much, they were like, what a great line, we're going to put it in. <laughs> it's a bit bro But anyway, he was like, um, you want to eat? He goes, I haven't eaten since later this afternoon. Oh, yes, I remember that. Mm. <laughs> Loved it. And, and another scene that I really enjoyed, and I appreciated that, that the movie was so tight with all this stuff that they even had a moment of levity or something, was when they were going um, laser cutting or punching. No, they were punching, the metal punching. Um, punching out the sheet of metal mm. at the shop. And um, Aaron is covering his eyes and he's like, should we be wearing goggles? And the guy's like, huh? And he goes, should we be wearing goggles? And the guy's like nodding and smiling. He's yeah. like, yeah, probably. Yeah. Ha ha. Yeah. And I just, I, I thought that that was, it was cute. It made me yeah. Laugh. It was. Yeah. I, re- I remember that scene trying to hide. He was trying to hold his hand up to his eyes as well to hide them or something. Shield them in some way. And I was hmm. just like, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like, cause so many things about this movie were with like meaning and tension. Everything was so dense that I was like, I'm happy you put in something that wasn't supposed to be like, and that is because of, it's supposed yeah. to mean this. And it's like, sometimes when movies are done like that, I'm just like, just get over yourself. Like in my mind, film, yes, narrative and pop plot complexity. Sure. But also like it is a visual medium. It's an entertainment. Like, yeah, you want to be giving the person like a good experience as well. So I, I just thought it was like, Thank you for putting in like one thing that was just there <laughs> to make me nod and smile and not something that I was supposed to be like, look at my notes. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> you see, that's the thing. And I bet like that's probably why it's such a like a cult um, following as well, isn't it? Because I do appreciate that there are certain movies that you can make and there are people like that out there who will go right and they'll sit down and they will mm. fucking analyze it and they'll make yeah. videos and they'll write documents and papers and everything everywhere for you to just kind of be like this is what it all means and you're just like i appreciate that those people exist (laughs) yeah yeah as long as the material is actually worth worthy of analysis i think a lot of films are not they don't deserve it no it's bullshit it's it's bait (laughs) they're baiting you this i I think this might be worthy even tenet you're like it's a bait okay I haven't seen it. Won't see it. Okay. Um, fuck Chris Nolan. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the cast. I guess before we talk about Shane Carruth and his... No, I'll talk about him now. All right. Let's talk about Shane Carruth and we'll talk about performances. Shane Carruth, just a great quote. I think it might have been from Sundance. Steven Soderbergh said of him, I view Shane as the illegitimate offspring of David Lynch and James Cameron. Wow. Which is very... I mean, it's a huge flattery. 
Now let's go, like, what was his background? He studied mathematics. He was a mathematics major. And he worked as a developer of flight simulation software. I'm not aware that he was actually an engineer, which is encouraging okay. because, yeah, the, the speak was all over. Uh, it was all over the place, you know. So I do know that he was actually an engineer. Okay. Okay. Um, and I'll just quote one thing. Here's a quote. This is from an article. I'll I'll link the show notes. Insanity is the insistence of on meaning, and this is just what we talked about. Insanity is the insistence on meaning, the poet Frank Bidart once wrote. So yes, if you're walking down the street and you start to notice patterns in the world around you, say, in the direction that the birds are flying, or the numbers that pop up on signs and addresses, and you think someone is trying to send you a message, you might be crazy. Then again, if the same thing happens when you're in a movie theater, you're probably just watching a Shane Carruth film. <laughs> very good it's a good good quote Mm -hmm. yeah insisting on meaning um so shane carruth and uh abe i don't know his name let's start with shane carruth and (laughs) and and your thoughts on and your thoughts on him and then while you're talking i'll get abe's name (laughs) i have some thoughts i'd like to bring up on the character a bit later but i suppose like the whole movie itself really it was just very natural in some way it was very mundane conversations. I don't mean that to be a negative thing mm. or a rude thing. I'm just saying, like, just watching normal people have conversations. Yeah, the way the way people do talk over each other. Yeah. And their sentences aren't, like, super eloquent. They're just chatting. Mm. Yeah, natural. Which is hard to do. It's hard to do and make it watchable because they're, you know, people that are trained actors. The first time I watched it, I turned to my partner. I was like... There's a reason they hire trained actors in movies. Yeah. There's a reason. <laughs> it's because of this. Like, I know it's nice to be realistic, but also it's nice to understand what's mm. going on. Once you get the intention of each scene, it's much less stressful. And then I could appreciate that, like, that I thought that they were doing a good job. Like, I think, right, that they performed well. <laughs> anyway. I was like, yeah, they're not professional and you can tell, it's fine. Mm. <laughs> but it costs $7,000. All good, all good. Yeah. He has a right to make this movie and it turns out a lot of people did get a lot from it. Good for him. Well done, Shane. Yeah. All right, let's <laughs> move on. Is there any... We will talk about everything else later, but in terms of production, he wrote the music himself, by the way, as well. But is there, is there anything else production-wise that you want to talk about? No. No. Okay. Themes. I wrote causality. Yes. Uh, actions have consequences. Yeah. Anything else? Honey, I shrunk the kids. Yeah. Mass. Yeah. Well, maybe that's troops. <laughs> I know. I think you're right, though. It, it is. It's it's cause and effect. And yeah. Classic. Classic time travel. Mm. Um, consequences, I guess. The, how cause and effect, how things started to, how they started to fuck with causality. I actually find that super interesting. Yeah. Talk about it later. Um, all right, let's move on to tropes. Yeah. <laughs> I reckon we have the same trope. Oh, I don't know. Uh, Go on. Do oh, you... All right. Okay. Well, I'll be sad if you didn't. Okay. Oh, shit. Ooh. Welcome to our first section, Drop of the Week. Abby, do you have a trope from this movie? Oh, I'm really worried now because also I wrote down my trope, but I can't remember what I meant. <laughs> oh, okay, fine. I wrote down... What's your trope? It's a secret. Shh. <laughs> what are you talking about? I think it's just the whole the whole idea of like, you know, they're all working on this project, but then the two guys are like, oh, we're going to try to do something else. So they just like push out the other two. They're like, no, it's our secret. Yeah, they wanted to push out the two guys. They were like, yeah. they uh, they suck. They, they, we're, we're like giving them our patent money and they're not doing much. Let's push them out. <laughs> There's always someone in the group. So... Okay. 
What is your trope? Because now I feel bad. <laughs> my trope is a story about the Russians and the pencil. That is so true. Wait, what? The Americans. I... Do you know that America tri- spent a million dollars to produce a pen that could write a zero gravity? And you know what the Russians did? Yeah, they made a pencil. Yeah. That is a trope. <laughs> and a myth. And a myth. You can't use a pencil in space because the graphite, firstly, something about graphite is, it's a thing, something, something to do with the material, but also it flakes. When you write with a pencil, it Mm. flakes and bits fly off into zero gravity. Actually, it's a bit dangerous. It's not practical to write with a pencil in space. So actually, they both were trying to develop a pen for space. But the whole thing started because NASA was like having this special mechanical pencil. And it turns out when they looked through the budget, they were, they were like <laughs> pulling up $128 per pencil. And it caused such an outrage <laughs> that they were like in the budget review, they were like, what the fuck? $128 per pencil. So they produced oh a, a pen, which ended up being space pen, the space pen. Okay. I didn't know a space pen was the thing. I have never fucking heard of this before at all. And I completely missed this in the movie. (laughs) It's right in the beginning. I just love how you were like, we have to have the same one. You'd be so disappointed in me. And I'm like, I, it's not even that I didn't pick up on it. I didn't even know this was a thing. (gasps) Okay. So next time we do a space movie, we have to talk about the space pen. (laughs) I want the science of the space pen. All right, let's move on to our main science bit. So obviously we're fuck the normal structure. (laughs) Apart from a few little things, we're just going to be like, what the fuck happened in this movie? But I think that before we do that, let's just just talk about the fact that we had two engineers and it's supposed to be a very realistic representation of engineers. But I'll put the question to you, Abby. Did you think that these two men were uh, realistic and convincing as engineers or for these four men yes yes i did yes okay. there's only one thing that i think was unrealistic for me yep um the fact that they were all wearing shirt and ties all the time <laughs> what fucking engineer do you know that walks around in a shirt and tie nerd t-shirts always I will yeah. get slated for saying that. I apologize. No, I just, I, <laughs> they dress like, they're not conscious of their dress. They're just dressed in like the minimum requirement that they need to dress for like their work, which requires them to wear shirt and tie. So their pants are just like ill-fitted. Their shirts are big. Their ties are shit. I was like, yeah, like I, I feel it. I like it. Like I, I know like they, they have jobs where they need to wear shirts and ties. That's fine. But it's like, they never changed out of their clothes when they got home. <laughs> Just I know. So they were at the when, party in shirts and ties. I know. No. So, so my thought about that was that it was like costumes. They were like Mario yeah. and Luigi. That was my <laughs> thing. That, 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 yeah. Like this, they are superheroes and this is their costume. Would you yeah. say like that? That was what I thought, but on further, um, when I thought about it more, I realized that it doesn't allow you to figure out which is which, because they're traveling back in time, yes. day after yes. day. How many days? How many days are they doing this? Two? They're doing consecutive days. How many days? Which is which? Who's who? Um, yeah. I think that that deliberately makes it difficult, except at the end where there's. Um, different clothing and i think it might have even made it difficult for them by the way because then they'd have to have the continuity of the clothing and i think that that would have made it harder i think they might have made it easier on themselves just to be like all right let's just they don't change out of it no that is such a good valid point i'm just being a dick no i think (laughs) that it begs it begs the question similar vein uh, and we've touched on it but was no. Was the technology speak with the way they were speaking in a very in short, because we're kind of touching it. Do you think that that was realistic of the way that people talk, the science engineers or scientists talk? Yeah. And I know yeah. you're around you know engineers yeah. more than me. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Because there's times, honestly, where I'm at. So like, 
our project that I'm working on is a big collaboration. So there are many, many times where I'll just get like a random message on Teams or there'll be an email chain or like walk into a conversation in the office with my supervisor and the postdoc and there'll just be like a sentence or two said and it's just taken for granted that you understand the entire backstory of everything else. <laughs> and I'm just standing there going, what? Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand the words mm. you just said. Because yeah, I wasn't no, no in exposition. that meeting. I wasn't yeah. in that conversation or, you know, so I just, I do think these kind of fragments of sentences of just bits of information here and there is, is pretty normal, actually. Mm. What do you yeah, think? 100%. Yeah, hundred percent. No, I agree that there's no, cl- there, the movie had no clunky exposition. The only thing clunky was the NASA, that very clunky sentence of like, did you know? <laughs> did you know? Like <laughs> people don't say that. Did you hear? Did you know? Like no movie lectures so, here. Uh, it's a sign to me when it's so difficult to discern i go i guess it, it probably doesn't matter. you don't yeah it's it is and it's the same thing with a lot of like time travel time loop type movies where you don't get the explanation as to what's causing the loop or or the time travel mm. it's it's, it's what the events of it and it's the causality and it's it's you know the paradoxes mm. and all that stuff is what's interesting yeah. to people so nobody ever really puts too much effort into trying to explain how they actually achieve it so i do appreciate that they put in this like science speak that was kind of things that you could maybe pick out and go oh maybe you know, I wonder what they're trying to do. If you're interested in that, I like that there was a little bit of yeah. that. But like at the same time, yeah. I think you're so right. You unnecessary it to understand matter. it. Yeah, yeah. But but yeah, exactly. All right, let's let's go straight into what the fuck happened in this movie. Okay, <laughs> uh, I'm going to say three things. One is let's describe the rules of time travel in this movie. I think that's definitely important. Then the next section is called "What's in the box." <laughs> and then the next one is what happened in the movie so let's begin what are the rules of time travel in this movie you ready yes okay. please they, ha- they have a machine and it makes the person travel through time you can only travel as far back as when you turned the machine on because you can't come out the other side of a non-existent machine obviously mm-hmm. okay you travel as far back as you stayed in the machine. I wrote that sentence out. I was like, is that grammatically? You travel as far back as you stayed inside the machine. So if you want to get in at 8 p.m. and get out at 8 a.m. at the beginning of the day, you have to stay in the machine for 12 hours. So that's, so yeah, exactly. There's no instantaneous time travel in this movie. No. Uh, And then a rule is that it's not recommended in a rule and maybe a hint. It's not recommended to leave earlier or later than the time the machine was turned on. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I think I've got it. Like the basic rules of this time travel universe. Have I? Yeah, I think the I think the thing with the the machine being on and off. If you got in the box when the machine is off, and then got out of the box when the machine was off, you wouldn't have traveled through time. You had to enter when it was on, and you had to exit when it was on. Okay. Okay, cool. I, uh, you're going somewhere with it. All right. Uh, all right. It's it's like a, we've got a handle on the episode so far. It's about to get curly. All right. What is in the box? Firstly, what were they trying to do? I think that's a really important question. What were they trying to do? Well, Abby, they were trying to reduce the mass of objects. That is what they were trying to do. Initially, I was like, are they trying to freeze things? Is that the whole thing with the fridge, the freezer and the ice? Like, what was the wife talking about? Um, No, they were just trying to let you know that the freezer, the fridge was was new. It was a a Christmas present or it was it was it was a present. It was new. They were excited about the ice. They were trying to, you know, they just turned it on. I think it was Christmas time. 
So that has nothing to do with what they were doing. And then later they tinkered with the fridge. They wanted you to be like, oh, he's just fucked the fridge that the wife like got him for Christmas or whatever. Anyway, or he got the wife for Christmas. Okay, but they're trying to reduce the mass of objects. And my, what, 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 sort of, I go, okay, so they had a strong electromagnetic field and there's superconductors somewhere and then they seal it in a box and fill it with argon gas and that is the thing that reduces mass so before i ask you for your theory i go like okay so that makes time travel okay cool and then they have there's a there's parabolas so i was like a wave uh, function maybe so then uh, are they cats they might be so that my theory is that uh, it's a waveform it's like a parabola so i was like oh it's like a probabilistic thing okay and so then is it like this is it a probabilistic thing that um they could be at any point in this like parabola or like waveform which is like at any point that the machine was turned on once they're in this machine they could be at any point but at the time that they turn it they get in there they're most likely to be in the here and now and the time that is like 12 hours from now they're most likely to be at the b point and so if you open up the box and there are cats and then if you open up the box and then that at the point where they're most likely to be at the b point if you open it up at the b point then they're most likely to be there so they're going to collapse the wave function that's the parabolas and then they're at the b point but if you open it up like when they get in they're the most likely to be there so that's where they are there but any other time in between a and b they're probabilistically all over the place and so if you open up the box at that time they could be a cat that is dead and that is my theory about the box what do you think about my theory about the box? How, let me, let me one second. How did I write this? Um, ooh, sorry, lots of noise. Okay. Um, I am just going to say, <laughs> I don't know how to react to your theory because it's, I kind of think I have the same theory. So I'm just going to say mine yeah. and then we'll see where we line up. Okay, good. But I'm with so you I'll with the cats. Say, I'm 100% with you with the cats. <laughs> I bet they're cats. Okay, so right. my theory is so, that they're cats. Okay, yeah. go. What's yours? So basically, yes, they are trying to create a method of reducing the mass of an object by altering its gravitational effects. And they appear to be doing this using superconductors and magnetic fields, which is basically, as far as I can tell, a form of diamagnetic levitation. Super, super real area of research like we talked a little bit about that kind of stuff with big hero six when we talked about the the maglev trains do you remember her blades uh yes yes i do yeah so it's basically yep. seems like that's what they're trying to do they're trying to create some sort of compact source thing which is what the impression i got then they were they looked at one point i'm not sure what they were doing when they put their hands in it looked like they were trying to levitate something anyway uh, a punched holes punched paper right holes. yeah so then, because the superconductors generate a lot of heat, they flood the box with an argon gas because that acts as a coolant. Takes care of the heat situation. That's why they don't need a coolant. Okay. Yeah. Now, the box is acting sort of like a magnetic trap in some way. And it's probably using somewhere in the range of 10 Teslas to operate which is why they need to enter and exit at specific times when the field is growing or reducing. They have to enter at the weak point while the field is either powering down or powering up. Because once it reaches its full kind of potential of this magnetic field, there'd be too much radiation, I think, is what they were saying. But because they're in the middle of the box, they're in the center of the magnetic field because of the Meissner effect and the sort of trap thing. Once they're inside it, they're not affected by the it's magnetic going, field around them. Okay. And then... This is where wait, wait, I just yeah. interrupt before before I lose track. So that's why you were saying they have to be in when it's on. Yeah. Because if because because you said if they would wait until it's powered down, they wouldn't be there or it wouldn't be yeah. there or some shit, some crazy shit. Yeah. 
it just it has to be on when they get in and out. Therefore, yeah. it has to be when it's powering up because if they're too late, it's they're cutting through. They get a zap. I think that that might be why he says parabolas yeah. are important. I think because it just tells you the nature in which it ramps up, which sort of says you can get out safely right here. Set your timer. We'll calculate at the point that you get out. And then yeah. he's in the box and he goes, I could hear it powering down. So I was tempted to get out, but I trust the maths. And it was like, no, yeah. get out at this point. Get yeah, exactly. Point. Yeah. Boom. All right, go. And then somehow this creation, this like mag- electromagnetic field system that they have created to reduce mass instead opens a channel in space time and traps the object that's in it bouncing between two points in time. So it's bouncing between point A and point B. And that's where I was like, it's exactly what you're saying. It's Schrodinger's cat. Because when they enter the box, there's the probability of them being at either point A or point B in time as they are technically traveling constantly back and forth in time. Mm -hmm. And that's what the little Russian doll thing was about and the buildup of the proteins. Like only when the box is opened does the waveform collapse and it establishes whether they are at point A or point B. So they have to exit at the right time to make sure that they're exiting on the back and they're not just coming back out at the point mm-hmm. that they enter the box. So when they're in the when they set up the box in the morning, time is moving forward and the field is building. In the afternoon when they get into the box, they start to shut it down. Time is moving backwards and they shut it down and as the field decreases they exit. Oh, because they've turned it on. So yeah. they're going towards it, it, turning it on. Yeah. This is so good. Okay. And then I had a point before I lose it. Oh, God, I had a response. Yeah. And and this is great because the reason why this has happened, and I think now I understand what they were talking about when they were like, what's the Feynman diagrams? What's the only thing? Yes. Is you cannot get rid of mass. You cannot create or destroy mass. Thus, if they did create something that reduces maths that mass is somewhere right yeah the question is not where when <laughs> the, <laughs> that the mass does not disappear it's just gone somewhere so basically the reason why the little paperweight which was what we russian doll thing the reason why it was reducing mass is because the probability that it was there at that point that they were looking at the scales is now reducing it's only 70% likely that it's right there. Therefore, it's 70%, let's just say, reduced. And it's, its position in space-time is cut up in a probabilistic sense that it's likely to be here, but it's also likely to be there. And therefore, some of it, when you, when you put that in terms of measurement, the indirect measurement that they have, which doesn't collapse the wave function. And this is brilliant because it is very Schrodinger caddy that they, there needs to be some way, I think, in... In the example of Schrodinger, what's in there? A Geiger counter? Some, there's something in direct measurement. Yeah. Not a Geiger counter. I don't know what the... Uh, there's something. A radiation counter, photon counter, something that you it does not break the rules of interference to have some indirect measurement. And the, I think that that scale counts as that. Right. It, they, they are not directly observing. They're indirectly observing the position of it. Yes. And that allows them to keep the bond or to keep the probabilistic existence of the thing only when you open it up is it this or this yeah it's so exciting it's so i think that that is great (laughs) it is and it's like oh i love this i love this because i love that it's like it makes sense i mean in some way we did it. We did it. We did it. Oh, yeah. I'm just looking up the Schrodinger's cat experiment. What is in it? It's, it uh, yes, it's a radioactive source, a flask of poison. Um, internal monitor is a Geiger counter. Oh, Frida, good job. <laughs> good job, Frida. Um, but can we, uh, are we, are we, are we happy? I think so, yeah. I feel like, yeah, I mean, I get that. I get that. I was trying to think about what kind of a system it could be, like this whole, like, there's the probabilistic, but there's the, periodicity of it as well i guess like the fact that it was just bouncing back between the two points and it was like you were either going to be in one or the other depending on what time and how long you were in there for and what time Mm. you exited that but it was just kind of beautiful 
Okay, so now I want to say what happened to the movie. I'm going to take a swig of this gin. It's water. I was just going to say, well, it's like 8 a.m., right? <laughs> All right, what happened in the movie? Okay, let me just check how long we've been going for and try to subtract the thing. All right, we're good. Okay. All right, what happens in the movie, bit by bit? So I'm going to talk about um, chronologically, but also what we see in the movie. And um, so uh, as I watched it the second time, I was able to, to put in what I knew into the plot as well, if that makes sense. Okay, so th there's four people in a garage and they're each taking turns to make stuff, Okay. And, and hoping that they'll invent stuff. So they're, not, they're each taking turns with their ideas. So it's four engineers who have a job, but they're trying to like make more money by coming up with some ideas. And everybody, they have some sort of agreement where everyone has a turn to put forward an idea, and then they try that thing. But it turns out in all the time, they've only done one thing that's been prof profitable to them, something that they're making and selling to individuals that they're sealing up. And... Um, that thing isn't really making them a lot of money because they say it's not, you know, they need a contract with like Walmart, you know. Um, there was something bigger that they did, but Platt fucked them over. Platt was to stole their idea. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I guess Aaron was sort of weak about it and never stood up to him. And they all have resentment towards Aaron for his role in allowing that to happen. Okay, so then Abe has an idea that he wants to put forward uh, he needs things to be very cold. There's palladium. Uh, is that a superconductor? Okay, fine. Then they create an electromagnetic field. And by the way, throughout all of this, they're kicking out the other two. The other two, they're like, we, we don't need him. All they want to do is test the coils. And the guy's like, it's not a Tesla coil. It's like, whatever, this stuff is boring. Let's, let's, the big guns. And Ape has this idea um, that they create an electromagnetic field. Uh, he puts the punched holes on it. Add it, they seal it with a box and fill it with argon. We've just explained what that was. Months pass and they're having conversations about funding. They need funding, etc. cetera. Uh, that's where um, Rachel's dad comes into it because he's like the Mr. Moneybags in their lives and they're talking about approaching him. Uh, I don't know if that, that, that doesn't ever happen and they cut the two guys out. Okay. Now, then. We cut to... Abe approaching Aaron on the bench. Now, this guy on the bench is Aaron, who's trying to stop the guy with the gun already. Mm -hmm. The guy on the bench is already Aaron, who has traveled back in time and is sitting there with the recording in his ear. And his mission is stop the, sh the shooter or whatever, right? That's my opinion. Okay. Then this is when they go through the whole thing about the protein. And the funny thing about it, what I think is very cute, is that Abe says to the scientist guy, pretend this is the first time that I came in. <laughs> right? Wink. And the guy repeats as well. He repeats it to Abe. He repeats it to Aaron. And at this point, you see that the scene is jumps around because this has happened many times. And so what you're seeing is a mishmash of all the times this fucking thing has happened, that Aaron has had to sit through the same thing. Right. And, right? Then, so the fungus guy, that whole thing with the fungus. Then the next scene you see Aaron's with the clicking his pliers, click, 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 click. He's so impatient, right? And you hear the recordings. At this point, you actually hear it, but you don't know what you're hearing for the first time, but you do hear the recording conversation. Aaron is looking at a clock. He's so impatient. Why? He's been here before. He's like, ugh. Um, then they start talking about outside with the basketball, about um, what they're doing. Uh, you know, you're trying to build a bigger one. And then Abe is like, I didn't say that. You just said that. It's because he's trying to make the time travel happen. He is there to ensure it happens again. So he's leading Abe every single time into time traveling because it needs to happen. Okay. I have a question. Yeah, sorry. Are you saying that Aaron time traveled back to the very? I thought he couldn't go back further than when the first failsafe box was built. We don't know. Uh, yes, well, a we don't know because months had passed. 
in between when he finally told him and traveled, he has built a fail safe box. It could have been a couple of days before that. It could have been an hour. It could have been a few days, but all we need to know is there is an amount of time between the fail safe box turning on and them having the bench conversation. There was enough time for Aaron to also run his business and be at that bench ready. Yeah. The, the Christmas, what I'm saying is the Christmas thing is important because there's Christmas is when they start working on it. Right. The funding conversations that they got to fund it. There's, there's an amount of time that brings us to March madness and that's March. Okay. Okay. So then the next day they do it, they get up, they're calling sick. Um, they go to a hotel, um, they do the whole thing. They, they come back in time, they check the stocks and then they, and then themselves, their, their other cells, their doubles will go disappear into the past and they continue living the day. That night they're having the chat with the wife about wanting to punch Platt where he says, this is what I would do if I could do anything. Uh, and they start talking about, um, I think they might be in the next, you know, this is the next day and they're at a petrol station talking about the grandpa- grandfather paradox um, where, he, where Aaron is expressing concern. He's just like, this is fucking with me because now I don't know, like, you don't know who could have fucked with things. And I think the reason why Aaron is like, this is fucked and Abe is like, don't worry about it because Abe is very careful with causality. Aaron has already fucked around. Right. And therefore Aaron is like, oh man, like now that I fucked with myself, I'm freaking out how much of my life, the fact that, you know, this is now questionable is really bothering Aaron because he's like, how much is real? How much was fucked with? Abe doesn't have the concerns because it just, it wouldn't occur to Abe. Abe is trying to be very careful. Then they go to a hotel. Hmm? After the hotel, they are then check the stocks. That is when they have the conversation where Aaron starts talking about taking my family to Costa Rica. Why is he talking about that? Why? Because he knows he has to get the fuck out of there because he has Aaron in the attic. He knows he has to escape. So he's like, I'll take my family with me. Hmm? Then they time travel again. Back to the morning before they have the conversation about Costa Rica. Aaron's ear is bleeding. Why is his ear bleeding? Why? because he's traveled much more than Abe at this point. Mm-hmm. And I believe he's also messing with shit. Yeah. Whereas Abe is being very careful and we don't know how much messing with stuff is fucks with your existence there. That is when Abe hears that Aaron has been a hero and stopped the shooter. Then they're out looking for the cat. The wife has gone, look for Philby the cat. And Abe is telling Aaron, Aaron, you can't be reckless and go in front of a shooter. You have a family. And Aaron is saying, ah, this whole thing has pumped me up. I'm just like in a different spot and everything like that. Unbeknownst to Abe, Aaron has done it enough times that he's now fairly confident of how to stop the shooter. And so he has more bravado, I guess, coming off as being reckless. Interesting. Okay. The next day they time travel again in the hotel. The phone rings because Aaron has forgot to turn off his phone. Aaron answers, it's the wife. Yeah. Travel back in time to come out. Then the phone rings. And then they say we broke symmetry. Why? Because the phone rang already in the hotel room. It can't both ring because Aaron is like, that's not how phones work. The cell tower looks for the signal and stops when it finds one signal. It doesn't then go and find another signal. And they are really worried at that point. Okay. They go home and go to sleep. They're going to try and travel again. Yep. But they get woken up in the middle of the night by these kids. And so they were like, here's the plan. Because this idea of punching Platt never really went away. And they've already fucked with something. So they're like, okay, let's just punch Platt. Right. Then we'll time travel back. Because it turns out Abe is like, I confess, I've been turning the machine on at 5 p.m. every single evening as well punch plat go back to 5 p.m and instead of going to punch plat we'll just make sure we never get woken up by the kids we'll scare the kids off and then we get a full night's sleep and then we'll time travel this conversation will never happen the second time around fuck anyway 
So then they get in there, they're going to go on the way to Platt. Then the best part, when, if you're following shit, they see Rachel's dad and they're like, what the fuck? They don't even know what permutation and what, like, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, right? Fail safe time, done. Abe's like, fail safe, fuck. To go back four days, okay? He goes back, he drugs himself with nitrous oxide to stop himself from doing time travel. From He doesn't want Abe to have the conversation on the bench where he says, I'm showing you something amazing. He goes to the bench and says, hey, how are you? He's like, what's going on? And then he collapses. Aaron is already repeating the conversation because he's doing his lines. He's trying to force time travel to happen. And that's when the recording falls from his ear and we hear the conversation. And that's the point where Abe is like, how do you already know about time travel? Shit. So he says, I knew that there were two. I found it. He took the collapsible box with him and created his own failsafe. Uh, He drugs himself, Aaron, number one, puts himself in the attic. He intends to record the conversation uh, and then travel back and repeat everything. But the person that recorded the conversation turns up like just right then. And so Aaron, number two, the middle Aaron that was going to record just leaves. He's telling Aaron all of this stuff and uh, Abe, sorry, Aaron tells Abe all of this on the day he finds out about time travel. Because that night is the night that Rachel's boyfriend is going to threaten him and convinces Abe to work with him. So then he convinces Abe to help him figure out how to make the party work out in a way that the guy ends up in prison. Um, And then the situation ensues and the guy ends up in jail. And then that's the end of the movie where Aaron uh, 3 at least, Aaron 3, so Aaron failsafe 2 at least, but overall Aaron 3 at least, and Abe decide... Well, it's time for us to get out of here because we have our drugged versions in the attic. And that's when Aaron comes out of the attic. Abe gets out of the wherever is the closet. And that is the end of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> okay. First discussion point. Right. <laughs> when you're ready, why did Aaron do it? Why did he do it? Why did he do the thing? Why did he the failsafe? Why did he call the guy and tell him everything? All of it. Abe seems like he was honestly just like, cool, stocks, money. What was up with Aaron? And I just, that's the first discussion point. Oof. Yeah, sorry. I need a minute. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. My problem with it is exactly that. It's whatever they're doing in terms of like having the doubles and, and you know, like Abe locking up first or sorry, Aaron locking up first Aaron and then second Aaron. And then Abe having to gas first Abe and just like all that stuff, whatever. The biggest confusion for me in the whole thing is exactly what you just said. Why did Aaron do it? What was his motivation? Because he seemed to very quickly as well, like write off his family. So why, why was he so upset? I think you're right though. Like something had to have happened after the fact, after that party. And the party was like the catalyst to something worse that happened that we just don't know about yes i think yeah yeah because it made no sense (laughs) to me that he's putting all this effort in just to stop this guy who never fires a gun at a party Mm. threatening someone that he has no direct yeah i think in 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 rachel was murdered later on i think that's why mr granger at some point mr granger was also trying to stop it but he didn't have the knowledge and you know he's fucked it put himself in a vegetative state um, yeah, that makes sense. But, but but it still doesn't make sense because you're right. Why should Aaron care? And I think, I think it's this. Aaron was just bummed that Abe was behind his back keeping a secret, trying to have control over the situation. 
Because I, from a sincere place, was like, let's just say it goes wrong. I want a security thing that he didn't tell Aaron about. Yeah. And I think that that gave Abe control over events. Right. And I think that that bothered Aaron because, yeah, I think that Aaron might have something in there, an insecurity, an inferiority complex, that he resented that and and i think that his resentment over platt might be a little bit of a hint his his cowardice the fact that he was cowed by platt the fact that he uh, something maybe he's like one of those classic people where it's like platt made him feel small Mm. so he needs to make other people feel small and abe is kind of his lackey the comment that he gave to Abe at the end was very cruel and it kind of says a lot about his character. He's one of those people that has deep insecurities and resentment and hides it in the form of like, oh, I'm just this nice guy who would do no harm. But I think that he has deep insecurities and he enjoyed the power that he had. And I think that he might have fed on the power. Yeah. The fact that he knew how to make conversations happen and make things happen and he felt like he could control people. I think he was drunk on it. The fact yeah. that also he he turned himself into the hero in, in the most recent timeline, the timeline that gets to stay forever. He is the kind of guy that has the bravado to walk up to a guy with a gun and be like, nah. Yeah. And, and that's him at the end of his journey where at the beginning of his journey, he couldn't even confront Platt for stealing True. him out of a lot True. of money. So it's him trying to, you know, he wants to change that way that people see him, maybe. If you have a time machine, you never really have to get courage. And he knows that the guy never fires the gun at the party as well. He knows that that gun is never yes. fired. So it's not a danger to he him. Took the bullets out. Oh, yeah. It's a false bravado. He's a yeah. fuck. He's a fuck. He's a fuck boy. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. So consequences, uh, believing in some way that your actions don't have consequences. And, and, and that brings me to the next discussion point, which is the symmetry breaking aspect of the film. And what do we mean by symmetry breaking? So it's the point where he fucks, they, they break the rules of the causality, which they were very careful about to not interact with the world in any way, because you just can't lose control of that. Um, and they interact with the world by receiving a phone call. So they can't control. It just sucks because once they're out of the hotel and back in time, they can't control anymore how the world interacts with them. I think if, if we take it that what we've talked about in the box and collapsing the wave function and the probabilities and all that kind of stuff, that they are worried that like everything that they're doing, like has it has an effect. It's all like little small contributions to their overall system, I guess. And yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, exactly. So what what which, which, what does this little change, this small little um, fluctuation? What does that do? What does that change in your system now? Yeah. And how what's what's your new system? And have you broken the symmetry? Um, yeah. But as to okay. what what specifically they mean by breaking the symmetry in this instance, I don't know. Specifically in this instance, we'll just say that we were trying to operate under a place where we did not have a causal effect on our environment and therefore there was only one timeline that continued after we disappear into the past there's just the one timeline and so we can assume at any given moment when my when i am in the hotel room my double is coming out of the my double is coming out onto the same street that exists outside the hotel room let's just say right yeah like i'm holed up in my house on street a and on street c literally down the road is my double and i think that that's the symmetry breaking in the same space we are existing in the same space and the fact that both of the phones ring would imply that those rules no longer apply Mm. okay yeah okay cool um (sighs) that's it oh thank fuck i think that's it (laughs) I think it's it. I think it's it. This is like, it's such an interesting movie and it throws up a lot of interesting topics in terms of 
you know what it what it does to a person like watching what it does to Aaron versus watching what it does to Abe and just like this this idea that is such a time travel idea anyway of like how do we affect events like could you actually and like it seems like a really logical way to do it as well like lock yourself in a hotel room don't look at anything don't have any technology just do not affect the world in any way and then what happens when you do start affecting the world like it's fascinating but um i'm really glad it's over yeah and i yeah okay what the fuck play some music <laughs> what the what the what the fuck any what the fucks i have two uh yeah you go with your first okay so my first one is uh it's got two parts it's the fact that they built a box to go around an object that they wanted to observe and at no point did the engineers think they should put viewports into the fucking box so they could see what the fuck was going on inside the box and their big clever idea was let's just put the fancy camera in the box because fuck knows what will happen to it but let's just do it anyway <laughs> just annoyed me <laughs> thank you that was good <laughs> It might uh, be just uh, what's your second one? <laughs> I'm so fucked. Oh, by the way, I'm just fucked right now. Like, okay. I'm so tired. <laughs> okay. My second oh, one uh, is yeah. my second one was just a little nod to like oh, I think was it Aaron who said it. And now that we've had this conversation, it makes kind of more sense. I'm not sure, but it just re- it just made me want to punch him um, when they're saying, "Oh, why don't we just do the lottery?" And he says. It's only 10 million. It's not enough. It's only a couple of hundred thousand per year. I was just like, oh, I'm sorry. Greedy. Fuck you. Do you have any idea how many people would fucking like a couple of hundred thousand a year? It's not good enough for you. You jackass. I know. (laughs) Just made me angry. Anyway, that was it. What was yours? Mine is, so the way they walk up behind the fungus guy, I was like, why did they walk up? (laughs) In such a menacing way. Like, it's like, dun, dun, dun. And they walk up behind him. They stand over him. And he turns around. He's like, what? (laughs) I was like, what the fuck? To be honest, I was like, what the fuck in that whole scene? Because it was so awkward. Why are they menacing the fungus guy? (laughs) The guy did genuinely seem to stand there the whole time as well. Just going like, why is this conversation happening? (laughs) Enjoyed it. All right, let's wrap this up, man. I am dead. Okay. All right, let's let's do final verdicts. Number one, did it pass the Here Comes Scientist look? We'll give it a pass, although the woman does dishes and says, did you call pest I just, control? I just think it just doesn't apply. It's kind of like a moon doesn't episode. Apply. It just doesn't apply here because there's very few cast members and yeah. it's, it's unnecessary. You could say that the other two of the four could have been girls, but like, fuck it, it's fine. It's those two cast members, that's it. Fine, yeah, I know. She does washing and does the dishes. But again, that is what mums of little kids do while their husbands sit around trying to figure out how to make more money. That's most realistic family situations. Okay, did it pass? Here comes the science. Yes. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's not real, but like... Ah, I thought it, I thought us trying to figure it out, that was... We passed the Here Comes the Scientist. Yes. No, uh, yeah, we I don't know about yeah, the that's, movie. Oh, maybe that's what we should be doing do. instead. We should just be judging ourselves. <laughs> uh, all right, final verdicts. What are you giving it? Oh. Am I giving the verdict for the movie or for the conversation? Because I really enjoyed the conversation, but I really didn't enjoy watching the movie. I'm giving it 4.5 4.5 because at the second time really I just was like no this is smart okay I like it okay fair and the I really the time travel you know I hate thinking about time travel but it was interesting Mm. all right what's next come on give me something that's just better than this um oh I don't think I can promise you that (laughs) <laughs> what is it well funnily enough the next movie also has two engineers 
Iron Man. Iron Man 2. <laughs> hey. <laughs> nice. Have you seen it? Is it with Mickey yeah. Rourke? Yeah. Okay. I haven't. Okay. Oh, good. No, oh, that's good. I'm glad you haven't seen it because there's somebody else in that cast that is going to make you happy. Ah, oh, Cliff Curtis? No. James Redporn? No. Ed Harris? No. Rachel Wise? Oh my God, stop. <laughs> it's Sam Rockwell. Ah, <laughs> oh, baby. Boo-boo-boo. Oh, my baby. I'm excited. Oh, I'm excited to talk it. about this. I think this is going to be nice because it's our fourth Marvel movie, but it's really the first one where it's like, okay, so we've already done the first Iron Man. So now we get to talk about like the evolution of Iron Man. So that's so exciting. All right. So join us in two weeks for Iron Man. I think I have a bad echo. Join us in two weeks for Iron Man. Then next week, it is 28 days later. Yes. Ah, <laughs> oh, I did it. Yes, it is. Yeah, it is later. Yeah. All right, brilliant. <laughs> Great. Okay. We'll see you. At, get in touch with us, scienceatthemovies at gmail.com or at scienceatthemovies on Instagram. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And see you next time. Bye. Bye. Do you want to time travel back to the start of your morning so you can just sleep in? Yeah. Brilliant. Oh, my God.